When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What a week. Take a breath, Spartan Nation. But seriously, there was a lot going on last week. We had the battle for Atlantis. We had a little snow globe game at Spartan Stadium. A new contract for Mel Tucker. Transfer portal news. Big Ten awards. Uh, not to mention Thanksgiving. It was a jam-packed week, that's for sure. Hope everyone had a great holiday. Uh, welcome in to episode 58 of Live Spartan Confidential Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined by Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel on Tuesday, November 30th, 2021. Um, as I said, we got a lot of stuff to get to, guys, so we'll not waste any time here. Uh, Kyle, Matt, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. But, um, Matt, we just had some Big Ten awards come out, uh, the big one being Mel Tucker winning Coach of the Year, um, but, you know, also some player awards on the defensive side. And, uh, I mean, you want to quickly run down the award winners, I guess, and then your reaction to Mel Tucker winning the award. Yeah, we'll start with Mel. I mean, I, I think, you know, this is not a surprise. Um, you know, we were talking about it earlier um, that there's maybe the possibility that he'd split the the awards with with Jim Harbaugh, given that you know Harbaugh also a turnaround job this year. They're going to the, they're going to Indy, so I thought there was a possibility there. But Mel sweeps both the media and coaches vote. He's only the sixth sixth coach in program history to win the award, and he's only the second to win um, to sweep them and win both you know, D'Antonio being the other. So yeah, notable accomplishment, well-deserved. You go from two and five in a pandemic uh, first season to 10 and two and possibly a new year's six bowl game. So definitely earned that award. And then as far as the rest of them, uh, let's see. So nine guys were selected for either defense or special teams. Jacob Panasuk was second team coaches in, in media. So was Hunter Bryce Berenger and Jaden Reed as return specialists. Xavier Henderson and Jacob Slade were third-team defense by the media honorable mention coaches. Averis Crouch was honorable mention from both. And then we had honorable mention from the media for Cal Halliday, Darius Snow, and Matt Coughlin. So that's the rundown, and the offensive awards will be announced tomorrow. And I think Kenneth Walker should uh, obviously be among those uh, mentioned, to say the least. Just a hunch there, Matt, that Kenneth Walker. Just a hunch. Just a hunch. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he he got a, he got a vote for me. That's to say the least. Kyle, how do you how do you view the the thing? I mean, you got Michigan people out there. You know, we we talked about how co awards could have been possible. Harbaugh obviously probably had a case um, as well. I think it was between those two. But how do you react to the conversation between those two? Um, you know, obviously on on paper, there's a lot of similarities. You know, two win teams last year. They both came in as um, both um, obviously had remarkable turnarounds. You know, Michigan had one more regular season win and they got the division title, uh, but Michigan State won the head-to-head. So uh, pretty even there. Uh, the distinction I make, um, and your friends in, you know, in Ann Arbor might not agree with this, but to me, they, they both, both programs were in bad situations last year. Michigan was in a bad situation last year entirely of Jim Harbaugh's making. And credit to him, he pulled them out of that, but he got them in that hole. 
Um, Michigan State was in a bad situation, not because of Mel Tucker at all. That was all because of Mark D'Antonio and the pandemic and whatnot. So to me, I give Mel Tucker a little bit more credit because, you know, he didn't put them in a hole. He just got them out of it. I'm not sure I give a guy as much credit um, for cleaning up a mess that they created themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, look at, I think another part of it is the roster transformation that he had Mm -hmm. to pull off. I mean, that was, you know, I mean, the timing couldn't have worked out better for Mel, you know, you get, you know, with kind of the holdover with the pandemic and a chance to really, really do what you wanted with the roster and the timing of the the NCAA grant and the waiver. So it just kind of worked out well for them. And he obviously, you know, he hit the jackpot with Kenneth Walker and did quite well in a number of other areas. So all in all, he, he got my, my first place vote for Big Ten Coach of the Year. And Harbaugh was second for you, right? Yeah, Harbaugh was second, and I think I had Fleck third. But I didn't. I mean, it was a it was a two coach race this year at at most. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree. I mean, Mel Tucker's done an outstanding job this year. You know, to take a two and five team and flip them to ten and two and be in this position, uh, amazing. And yeah, I was going to bring up the roster turnover too because he actively had a hand in going out around the country, him and his staff, finding and identifying kids that could step in and work for the program this year. Um, and and somehow he got them all to buy in. And, and not to say they aren't without their warts, especially on the defensive side of the ball still, but um, to, you know, to bring in guys from all over the country and get them to mix with D'Antonio's bunch, um, I thought was a, was a remarkable feat. And for a team that was picked dead last in the Big Ten uh, coming into the year, I think we all thought that was a little um, ridiculous. But, but still, to, to go from last to... Uh, where they're at now is pretty incredible. Yeah, I did. I was not among those picking them last in, in the East. I'd have to go back and look. I think I had them third in the mm-hmm. East division, third or fourth. Uh, right behind but, Indiana. I was yeah, going to say, well, yeah, where'd you have Indiana again? I was going to voluntarily bring that up. I, I'll I'll take the heat for that. I, I was a little too high on Indiana coming into the year, unlike Kyle, who rightfully – had them coming back to earth and they went well beyond that this year. So um, anywho, uh, yeah, I, I, I had them win in seven, seven, I had seven, five in the regular season. That was after when I went through, I had them at eight and four and thought I was losing my damn mind. And then, you know, they started eight and no. So whatever they were, a lot of people undersold them. Um, that doesn't change the fact that Mel did a great job and the players did a great job this year so far. And, you know, chance to play in a new year's six bowl game still on the horizon. So um great turnaround season nothing more to really say than that um moving forward yeah and we'll get to the game here in a second what the future might look like but we might as well jump into his contract too we touched on it briefly last pod but it became official uh what wednesday night of last week you know i I was uh i was enjoying the you know the the pre-fest uh thanksgiving festivities when the news broke and got really excited but uh you know 10 years 95 million um, you know, uh, with a lot of incentives, I think we got the contract details yesterday, more ironed out. Um, so obviously a big contract and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big number, uh, for a guy who, you know, is, hasn't really won a ton so far. So it's going to come with a little bit of skepticism. Um, but we saw Brian Kelly get the Mel Tucker rate uh, today at LSU. So, um, just interesting how, you know, the, the Mel Tucker signing, and then now we've had all this coaching news come down. Um, I mean, it's a big number, but it's, it's, it's donations, but I mean, I guess, how do you, uh, to me, I don't know if his contract should be like an argument and Kyle, we were kind of going back and forth with this last week that like, yeah, you pay this guy all this money. Does that mean expectations have to go skyrocketing through the ceiling? Maybe I think you need to have realistic expectations. And I just think this was the cost of doing business. And we've kind of seen it with some of these deals coming out afterwards. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you. Um, 
in, in, in the interest of having a good pod. Um, no, that's fine. You're allowed to disagree with me. Yeah. People I, I don't think it was the cost of doing business. I think it was Michigan State getting a little scared because look, this all happened because of LSU. Well, look what happened because of at LSU. They hired Brian Kelly this morning, talking on Tuesday morning. And uh, that, to me, tells me that if you're hiring Brian Kelly, uh, he is ahead of your list than um, compared to Mel Tucker. I mean, he was obviously number one. So maybe, you know, Michigan State couldn't have known then how it played out, but that search never got to um, Mel Tucker. And maybe oh, there would have yeah. been some other schools interested in him, but I don't think they, they needed to pay him that much money. Um, but and, did, but- but Sorry, uh, I, I was just going to say, I mean, obviously I don't fault Alan Haller. If that contract is available for you, you do it to make sure. Um, and certainly Matt Ishbia um, uh, can spend his money however he wants to. But um, I, I think that number ended up being quite a bit larger than it needed to, I guess is my point. But even if LSU isn't coming, you know, if Mel Tucker continues to have success at Michigan State, aren't there always going to be jobs and people coming to sniff? Like, I mean, I think we knew that LSU was after a bigger fish. I, w- I was never buying into that. But, I mean, Adam Schefter came out with a report that NFL teams were inquiring about Mel. Um, I mean, I, I just think, you know, if he continues to have sex- success at a place like Michigan State, uh, there's always going to be, you know, bigger, better jobs that come sniffing around, even if it's not just this cycle. So I, to me, it was more like Michigan State just feeling, let's just lock him up and, and not have to worry about this crazy circus. Well, now that you bring it up, um, other jobs coming up, I think if you look at his contract, what really stands out is, well, one, Mel had obviously all the leverage here. Uh, you know, he got a $95 million fully guaranteed contract and his buyout didn't change. Yeah, it's that's remarkable. pretty gnarly. It is, that's I mean, gnarly. so... You know, if he goes and wins the Big Ten next year, what you know what happens? You know, he has success too. Michigan State could be right back in the same spot in another year, 24 months, three years. Who knows? I mean, how it goes. But, you know, his old contract, uh, they owe, they would have owed 85% of anything remaining if they fired him without cause. Now it's a full 100%. Again, the buyout is, is only 25 still up until next January and it drops a half million dollars a year until it reaches a million in 2024. And it sits there. That is not, none of those numbers are going to scare off the big fish, you know? I mean, so Mel had all the leverage and this is the the rate of, of doing business these days. And so congrats to him. He got paid and, and Michigan state had some people to come up with the money to, to, to help fund it. So I, you know, for now it all works out, but if he continues to be highly successful, we're going to be back on this topic again. Which, it, there's no way to avoid that if you're Michigan State, yeah. though. You know, they, to me, Michigan State did everything they could to um, to make this in an attractive place as you could for Mel. And if at the end of the day, um, an NFL job or Nick Saban leaves in Alabama wants him, um, you know, there's only so much you can do. And to me, Michigan State has done everything it can possibly do to make this an attractive place for Mel Tucker to stay. Yeah, ultimately it's going to come down to him. I mean, him, him mm-hmm. say he's saying all the right things. You know, this was his dream job. He doesn't view this as a stepping stone. You know, he's getting a new football building. I think we saw. Uh, you know, he said they were going to break ground on that right. in the spring. With, did I just see a report about that? So, I mean, he's getting more money for his assistants. He's, I mean, he, ultimately it comes down to the guy and and taking Mel at his word that he views this as a job where he wants to build this into something and this is where he wants to be. So. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. No question. I, I just hate when, you know, people just try and turn it into, you know, oh, they get blown up by Ohio State, don't sign the contract. Like, it's so much more in depth than that. But I guess that's just fan rivalry stuff that's going to happen regardless. So, um, yeah. Anything else on the contract or should we move on? 
I, I, I do wonder about the other side of it a little bit. You talk about the other buyout. I mean, I'm, this, I know this is probably only in my head and nobody else's, but like these contracts do go the other way sometimes. And we still are talking about a, a one good season, which was a remarkable season, but it's still a small sample size um, for one guy. And if this doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, um, that's a big number. Matt just mentioned fully guaranteed contract. I mean, if in three, four years, you know, it's not going in the right direction. You still owe that guy $50 million. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know all their, you know, uh, agreements um, and everything. Who would be on the hook for that? You certainly hope that the people who ponied up the money um, in that situation would be on it. But um, yeah, uh, I mean, Michigan said again, made the move they had to. But if if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, somebody's going to be cutting a really big check. The, the odds are in favor of the contract not being worth it. That's usually how these things go. I mean, right. look, at, look at any massive 10-year deal. I mean, even if you're talking about players, coaches, whatever. I mean, Miguel Cabrera's contract, you know, look at, for example. Right. Like, they rarely end up being worth it. Mm-hmm. But I just think that it's like the move you have to make at the time if you want it to happen. So, it, it, I mean, Which is says something ridiculous about college athletics, but that's a whole other podcast. So right. Well, Carlos Correa is about to get $400 million from somebody. So, I mean, it's, it's all ridiculous, but it is what it is, I guess. But let's get back to on the field. Uh, you know, Mel Tucker uh, closing the season in style, or at least the regular season in style for the for the Michigan State Spartans. Uh, playing in a snow globe there at Spartan Stadium. Matt, I know you were feeling under the weather. And so, Kyle, you were kind of the lead guy in the game there. I was out in the stands freezing. No, I wasn't freezing. I was bundled up in uh, – had some warmth in the inside there too. So I was ready to go. I thought it was a super fun game, Kyle, like just a really cool atmosphere. I always love games with elements because they, they just like, they make something more iconic about it. Like, Oh yeah, that was the snow game versus Penn state in 2021. And uh, it was a cool scene at Spartan stadium. Uh, I couldn't really see the Penn state players from where I was sitting. I I have no idea what it looked like in the press box, but um, it was probably warm up there. It was warm. Uh, I give it, you and everybody else credit. Uh, I actually thought it was a really good crowd that showed up and yeah. stayed really well. Yeah. I was, um, you know, we, we've given the crowd a little bit of uh, flack on the podcast, but credit to them for that. Um, no, it was good. We couldn't see the quick, funny anecdote. Some, you know, so when the, the refs talk on their microphones, it's it's piped into the press box so we can hear what they're saying, you know, when they make announcements. And every once in a while, a ref forgets to uh, to turn off his microphone and we hear a little chatter back and forth. And it's usually not interesting. But uh, on Saturday, a ref forgot to turn off his microphone. And what we heard was, uh, yes, uh, Coach Franklin reports that snowballs have entered the Penn State team area. <laughs> Please dispatch stadium security. <laughs> they made so, several uh, announcements. Yes, yes. So several, <laughs> so some yahoos were chucking snowballs at James Franklin there. So, uh, <laughs> but no, um, just an yeah, an, an iconic, um, you know, sort of environment. The, like you said, the stuff you're going to remember. Penn State, that was the snow game. Um, and you know, thing that most impressed me was just how Michigan State responded. You know, uh, n- not a lot of teams are going to really show up and play a really solid game after losing by 49, um, especially when it's the last game of the year. Uh, a lot of injuries, a lot of illness, a lot of tough situations. And I thought it said a lot about Michigan State's players and its coaches that um, they really got a really solid effort in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is what you're paying Mel Tucker big bucks for, right? To be able right. not to lose to Ohio State, but to not let that become, you know, Back-to-back losses down the regular season. Nine and three doesn't sound as good. Probably going to Florida, which they could still be going there anyways. But yeah, I mean, tackle what Kyle said, really impressive effort. I was highly disappointed not to be there as the first 
thing I have missed in five seasons due to illness. Um, mm. So I was pretty pissed to be back at home, but I didn't really have much of a choice because I would have been wearing three blankets and, and press box and coughing all over anybody before I even got a <laughs> negative COVID test back from uh, on a uh, uh, Sunday. But anyway, uh, yeah, it, I thought from the jump, I was somewhat surprised to see how, how they came out. I thought going into the game with Penn State's defense being pretty stingy and Michigan State being very questionable in, in numerous areas due to injuries. And then you have, the, you know, obviously the flu bug stuff. But, you know, to come out and, and score touchdowns in the first two drives, um, the second one was, what, the 99-yard drive, right? And, and to really, you know, come out with, with a hot start show what they spent, that they spent the week right and they were prepared. And then you give up that 14-point lead and, and you're not, you don't let that sink you. You don't let the pick six sink you. And, you know, the, the, in a game where the defense, again, was <laughs> showed what the problems were, the offense, they, the, the big guys that they had available, their top three were the ones that they needed to get it done and they got it done. So that's, you know, obviously Thorne, Walker, Reed. And Reed playing at less than 100%. And, I mean, that fourth and 15 play was oh. – I, I mean, he had no choice but to – but, I mean, you can't kick in that situation, so what do you do? You go to the two guys that grew up playing together and allow their connection and chemistry to work. And, you know, great throw by Thorne, great catch by Reed and – that's these are the plays that Michigan State did not make in, in recent years. You know, their offense, it could have been 75 and sunny and, and their offense struggled moving the ball and scoring points. And on a day where the conditions sucked, they still put up 30. So, and, and you know, that's kind of just been the story of the season. That's the biggest reason they're 10 and two. I've I've watched that play no less than a hundred times since it <laughs> happened. Uh, I mean, just so great. I mean, that was right in front of where I sit in the stadium, and just to see him come down with that and see the explosion in the stadium was was pretty awesome. But I mean, in a driving snowstorm for pretty much the whole game, I mean, you put up four hundred fifty-one yards of offense, two hundred sixty-eight through the air. You mentioned the big three: Peyton Thorne, nineteen for thirty, two sixty-eight, and two touchdowns. Did have the one interception for the pick six. Kenneth Walker doing his thing, going 30 for 138 and a touchdown. Jaden Reed, 6 for 89 and the big touchdown. Connor Hayward has a couple big plays. Malik Carr has a couple big plays. Montori Foster with a ridiculous one-handed catch in the in the snowstorm. I mean, I was worried when we when we saw the news was coming out about, you know, they were going to be missing some guys and, uh, you know, from the flu. And then we already knew that some of our, our the main guys were banged up. So I wasn't feeling great coming into this game. But to see them come out and battle and jump out to that early lead and then knock it down, it just it, like you said, it just says a lot about the makeup of this team. Um, they were who were the key guys they were without? Because it's hard for me to when I'm in the stands to really notice. But and I, I watched the game back, but still like. There, there were some key guys missing all over the place, right? Horst, Naylor, Barrow, Crouch, Brantley, Lowry. Hunt, Hunt was the – He was the only one. That, yeah, that's the illness. It turns out, like what Brett McMurphy uh, reported Friday night and then Adam Rittenberg again on Saturday. McMur- I mean, they made it sound – you saw what happened with the line. <laughs> you know, I thought that they the were line done. moved like five points. And <laughs> But what it ended up being was basically Tyler Hunt was out apparently due to illness. And um, other guys were playing sick. Kenneth Walker, one of them. Jacob Panasuk, another, and some other guys. But in all reality, they got Jaden Reed back, which wasn't expected. They were healthier. Yeah. They were just as healthy, if not healthier, on, from an injury front and availability front than you would have expected, minus the flu thing. So a lot of people um, lost a lot of money on those. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so 
I mean, I guess it was, it was overblown. Um, not to say there weren't guys playing sick because um, they acknowledged as much after the game. But I mean, did I when I, when when you saw Jaden Reed standing on the on the sideline in the second half at Ohio State with the boot on his foot, I was not expecting him to play against Penn State. I was not expecting him to perform like he did against Penn State in a snowstorm. So um, yeah, worked out quite well for them. And Kyle, you made note of the game Kenneth Walker had, you know, as, as uh, you know, he's from Tennessee, played at Wake Forest, right? I mean, he probably hadn't really played <laughs> in the snow like that. And you could see his excitement right after the game. He's running, he's doing snow angels. Right. Like you could just tell that he was loving playing, like just experiencing snow, which was fun to see. Yeah. And, and we should note that Kenneth Walker got the inevitable, are you coming back question afterward, which is the time honored tradition among us reporters and mm-hmm. um, said he wasn't sure, but did note did say he planned to play in the bowl game, which I found was interesting that he would commit to that, but not next year. Cause it seems like if you're going to go, you, you might not play in the bowl game, but I guess that's good news. If that, if that ends up holding true. Yeah. Same, I mean, same it, with uh, Jalen uh, or Jaden Reed. Sorry. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, that's but, the same deal, but um, yeah, I mean, it was cool to see, you know, it's a cool moment for him. You saw him running around on the field, throwing snowballs at teammates. So maybe, maybe they tracked down who was responsible for launching them into the uh, Penn state uh, <laughs> sideline area. Yeah. I mean, I think it says a lot about the makeup of the team and how together they are that, you know, he's not even questioning whether or not he's playing in the bowl game. I mean, we've seen opt outs a ton lately uh, with, with pro prospects, but the fact that he's just like, I'm playing, like he doesn't want to miss out on, I mean, he has a Heisman and stuff to consider as well, obviously, but I mean, there's, I don't mean to get you off, but there is still time for him to change his mind on that decision, not to be the wet blanket here, but a bowl is still a month away. You could get an agent in your ear and, and that decision say. could change. And I, and I would not blame him one bit because we've seen plenty of times reasons why players sit out bowl games. I wouldn't I, blame him either. But I have to say, so like I, I tweeted his original comment and I was struck by my mentions because they were like 90% go get paid. Like, you know, you thank you for your service here. You've done excellent, you know, go do what you got to do, you know? And, and, you know, obviously fans are selfish a lot of times and, you know, with good reason and want to see their best players come back. But I was struck by, you know, pretty much all the Michigan state fans said, Hey, you know, you know, you should go to the NFL or, you know, you did, I think everyone is, here. is very appreciative for this group of guys in particular, mm-hmm. because they came from all over, they bought in, they, you know, they bought into the Michigan state, you know, way in the culture and, and, and just sort of bought into what Mel is selling. And I think a lot of fans are just really appreciative of, of the efforts that, you know, the guys have put in this year, because um, this is better than any, anyone could have ever imagined before the start of the season. I mean, we were talking about, let's make the music city bowl before the year, you know, like, <laughs> so like it, it's, I, I just think that there's a lot of love for this group of guys and for good reason. Yeah. I mean, practically speaking for him, I mean, his stock's, it, it's unlikely a stock will get higher next year. You know, you got to strike while the iron's hot, and it's certainly hot for him right now. Right? Was it Bryce Love that came back a year after he had like a the Stanford yeah. kid, and he came mm-hmm. back the next year and got hurt, and now his NFL career is nothing. So there is some risk in it, but I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, and speaking of next year, Jalen Bird Berger, the Wisconsin four-star, uh, committing to Michigan State yesterday. Um, you know, obviously. <laughs> This is, I think he was a top 15 kid in the 2020 class, had a rough year at Wisconsin, was reportedly dismissed from the team. Um, so, you know, I, I, Michigan State jumps on this quick. He was spotted at a basketball game last month. And um, this is a quick commitment as the transfer portal just starts to heat up. But I mean, Mel Tucker just making a statement right away that he's not going to be afraid to use that portal once again, Matt. Yeah, I mean, he, he Mel says, 
he said it on that this podcast I heard today, and he'll say it every time. He's gonna they're gonna build the roster through the high school ranks and supplement and complement it through the portal. He's the same phrasing every time. But yeah, they're not gonna they're not they're not gonna have the huge turnover as they did last year. But they're gonna obviously still identify positions they think they can improve through the portal, and this is clearly one of them. So yeah, Berger was a four star kid, top 150 overall recruit from New Jersey led Wisconsin in rushing in the whatever that was in 2020 season. Um, and then, you know, they bring in a transfer from Clemson. And according to the Wisconsin State Journal, that didn't go over well with Berger, even though the two were roommates. Um, and he missed, according to the paper, missed some meetings and some and uh, workouts or whatever it was and, and ends up off the team. But, you know, there's a lot of talent there. Um, and Mel's talked about countless times, you know, how when they go looking in the portal, the the, the job they do vetting these kids to, to make sure they're a good fit. He was on campus earlier this month. So obviously they like what, what they see in him and think he can help them in the running back room. And, and it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Cause again, everybody's going to expect Kenneth Walker's to leave and he should. Um, but after that, you've got Elijah Collins, Jordan Simmons, Harold Joyner, Donovan Eaglin and Davion Prim. Um, I still want to see what a healthy Elijah Collins looks like with a little bit more of an opportunity. If he can be the, 2019 version of himself again Jordan Simmons we we've seen the flashes from him last year in this season and then the other guy's a little bit of a mixed bag um but Berger will be clearly in the mix competing for that job and and there's definitely a chance for, for him to improve the room I don't think anybody can expect Kenneth Walker um the third part too but uh yeah I mean it'll it'll be interesting to see what he brings to the backfield I just told Mel made it clear that, you know, cause Mel's not going to tolerate that prima Donna stuff either. So I'm sure he made it clear that, you know, he's going to have to come in and work hard and earn, earn reps, even though he's probably the most talented guy in the room. So, um, you know, if there was a little bit of concern of that Wisconsin at Wisconsin, I'm sure, I'm sure Mel and, and William Piegler made it clear that, you know, you're not going to walk in and be given anything, but no, I, it's just maybe just a little bit of a, you know, if there's a concern with him, I think that would, you know, that would be it. Yeah, I, I don't imagine that they they told him, you you know, hey, come here, you're going to get the ball, guarantee you're getting the ball 30 times a game and you're going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. It's not going to work that way. So he's going to have to win that job if he can. And um, yeah, I, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion by any stretch right now. And, you know, you bring in a guy like that and maybe somebody else leaves. Wouldn't be a surprise. Um, so looking forward for football before we get to the to basketball here, uh, you know, bowl game projections, I think as of right now, it's pretty safe to say Michigan State's in the New Year's Six, um, seeing a lot of projections for the Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame, which would certainly be more interesting considering what's going on there uh, and Brian Kelly taking off. But uh, I mean, if, if Iowa beats Michigan, pretty good chance Iowa would jump Michigan State because then you're looking at maybe the Big Ten being left out of the playoff maybe Michigan, Ohio State, and Iowa getting the New Year's six bids, and then Michigan State ending up in Florida anyways. But I think if Michigan beats Iowa, it's a pretty safe bet that New York six is locked up for Michigan State. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to be in that top 12, and then you have to have it work out with the Power Five conferences and you know all that stuff. The, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how this weekend plays out, but they're definitely in a good spot right now. Um, playoff rank has come out tonight. You assume they're going to probably move up with Oklahoma losing, which would help their case. Um, and then you just got to see how the games play out this weekend. I think Michigan will beat Iowa. They'll take the playoff spot and then you can kind of sort it out from there. Um, you know, Rose bowl and then, and beyond. And, you know, if they, if they end up in, in, in Glendale, you know, at the Fiesta bowl or in Atlanta for the peach bowl, I mean, <laughs> 
Who the Ridiculous. hell thought that coming? Ridiculous. I mean, if, you, if before the year you said Citrus Bowl or Outback Bowl, that was that would have been Ridiculous. Like a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah. um, so to go, to be a step above that would be would be quite remarkable, quite an accomplishment. Um, and as I found out, you would be shocked to know that um, Arizona and Florida are rather popular travel destinations <laughs> in the winter. So. Uh, flight prices are a little bit high right now, so uh, <laughs> it, book them early. Co- Dang it! What was that? Well, I, I said book them early. Yeah, exactly. Except we don't know where we're going. I guess you can book them and then cancel. Maybe you get them. Got to pay yeah. extra for that cancellation uh, to to avoid the fees. So uh, I was just thinking about you know maybe riding in your suitcase or something, Matt. But uh, <laughs> uh, no carry-ons. Oh, dang it. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to basketball because there's no shortage of action there as well, Kyle. I mean, uh, the battle for Atlantis ended up being a very interesting. I think we both thought we were going to learn a lot about this team going into it. We talked about it last pod. Um, and we did. Michigan State gets two close nail-biting wins over Loyola in a ranked UConn team. And then for a half went toe-to-toe with Baylor, who I think is one of the best uh, best teams in the country. Faltered a little bit in the second half, and, and Baylor ran away with it. But overall, I I feel better about this team coming out of Atlantis than I did going in. What about you? Yeah, um, I I do too, and I can tell you, Tom is when players do too. It, it's not often that they're happy with not winning an event, but um, they certainly are because they beat two good teams on the way, and um, I think they have a lot of respect for Baylor and how good they are, um, and. Uh, I, I think those first two wins that they got, Loyola and um, UConn, are both going to end up as quad one wins, pretty close to um, the top of that NCAA tournament resume, which is going to help for seeding or, you know, um, if, if things drop off a little bit, maybe you need it on Selection Sunday. But either way, um, Loyola is a good team. Um, UConn, I thought it was a very good team, and they pretty much stole that game, in my opinion, just in that last minute. But my biggest takeaway is, um, a team that really knows how to win games um, for, for having guys that really haven't been, you know, the guy before, you know, Gabe Brown kind of stepping into that main role, some other guys stepping into bigger roles uh, that those Wednesday and Thursday games, they just made all the plays they needed to down the stretch and put teams away. Um, that last play uh, Tyson Walker in the Loyola game, I should say Tyson Walker, you know, making a good read. He had a bad game overall, but last play makes a good read, makes a good pass. Um uh, Marcus Bingham cuts out of the hoop, goes up and gets a, a pass that was up there. Only he could get and, and finishes the play um, for a really good, um, good basket to seal that. And then um, Lee Hall, I should say in that game, two twenty-four points kind of gets him back. And then, um, you know, the next day, uh, Julius Marble, and that would have not been in my top five players of to go off down the stretch and lead you to a top 25 win. But um, he was looking really good, kind of came fresh off the bench, I think, and was, doing really well in the pick and roll, getting to the hoop. Um, AJ Hogard, uh, I thought was finding him pretty well. So um, yeah, I mean, a lot of different guys. I mean, I think they showed that they're deep. Uh, I think they showed that they know how to win um, and um, that they're, you know, I guess my overall take is I think they're still pretty clearly a step below like your top 10 caliber teams. You know, they weren't within 10 points of Baylor. They weren't within 10 points of Kansas, but you know, teams outside of that, you know, kind of upper echelon group, I think they're right there, you know, with your top, you know, your teams in the 15 to 25 range and, and anywhere in there. I think they can play with any of those teams. And that that's better than I would have thought at this point for this team. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, not elite, but very good. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they've they've got a lot of good players, man. Like this roster is just littered with. You know, I keep joking that they've got like a bunch of eighty nines on the team. But, like, <laughs> they 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 really do. Like, I think they're still missing that true alpha. I think Gabe Brown can be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we saw you know Max Christie struggle, but then we see Jaden Akins emerge against Baylor and become like someone who looks like he could be a yeah. factor on any given night. Like Malik Hall goes off and then disappears. So it's like. They have like what, like six guys on this team that I feel like could lead them in scoring on any given night. We just never know where it's going to come from and it's not consistent. So I feel like that's what's holding them back a little bit. But it's 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 interesting to see like like, you know, guys that will just pop up. And I mean, Malik Hall, I guess, has always been like this. We saw the Seton Hall game a couple of years ago, but why can't he be more consistent? It's kind of puzzling because he has offensively all the tools that he needs, I feel like. It's like he's a guy that needs to see a couple shots go down before he can get going. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he either has like zero points or like 20 points, you know, it's yeah. like um, because he had the the great um, the great game against Loyola. Only reason they beat Loyola when they played, you know, they turned it over 20 times or whatever they did. Um, and then I, did he make a shot the, the next two games? I don't, I'm not sure he did. Um, I didn't think so, he scored the next game. Did he? Yeah. Um, so, I mean obviously it's good news overall that that he's capable of those types of performances i just think they need to figure out how to do it more often and how he can have some of these games where um i don't know he can maybe get the confidence that he has when he's hit three or four shots when he hasn't done it yet if that makes sense Mm -hmm. that seems to be the thing with him not to jump into his head but um he's got to see those couple shots to to really kind of get into that zone and and he's got to figure out how to produce that otherwise well he's he's playing the four position then i mean joey hauser you know I don't want to keep ripping on Hauser. <laughs> Everyone's ripping on Hauser, but you know, he played I'll, okay I'll, I'll take at the other times. side, so go for it. He played okay at times in Atlantis. It wasn't all him, but the four position in general needs to be better but between the two of them. And, you know, somebody's got to step up there. And then I, the other thing I want to get your thoughts on are the two freshmen, because any concern about Max Christie, because it seems like he's getting, you know, a little bit uh, bothered by maybe athletic wings or bigger guys as a true freshman. We saw it against Baylor, a little bit against UConn, but then we see Jay Nakin step up against Baylor. So uh, are these just growing pains for young guys? Yeah. Um, Max, I don't really have too many concerns about. Um, is it is Martin, the kid, the Martin kid from UConn, is it James Martin? Um, Tyrese, right? Ty- Ty- yeah. Tyrese. He, um, I was impressed to heck with that kid. I think he's a really athletic, good defender. Oh, is <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I don't think they're even going to see a lot of guys of his caliber. Um, and, and yes, he will see good, big, strong defenders in the big 10, but I, I think he will figure out how to get his points through that defend. It'll be harder for him, but I also think he'll get better and smarter about it. This was his true first taste of really good defense. And, as Israel pointed out too, like he's higher on the scouting report now than he used to be. I mean, teams knew he was a five-star, but they've got, you know, seven games of college basketball tape on him. Now they can game plan for him a little bit better. Um, so he's going to have to make some adjustments, but I think he will. He's a smart kid. I um, mean, he's a talented kid. Um, so not too concerned. I mean, it, he's a freshman. He was going to have a week or a tournament like this. It was inevitable. And he, um, we talked to him on Monday after practice. He's totally, um, he's totally fine with it. He said he totally expected it. So, um, they'll have some after Louisville, they'll have some lower tier competition where he can, I think, um, get a stroke back a little bit. And I think he'll be ready for big 10 play. And Jay Nakins, you know, I'm impressed with him. You know, I, 
Um, I think he's in a, I think I've said this before on the pod, perfect role for him, kind of a 15, 20 minute off the bench guy. He's going to come off the bench, play hard as heck, get some rebounds, uh, make some really good defensive plays. Um, not, don't think he's ready to be a, you know, a, uh, a starter, you know, a 30 minute per game guy, but I think he's perfect in the role that he's in right now. And I think he's going to give him a fair amount this season. Anything else in the tournament before we look at Louisville, Matt, you got anything? <laughs> no, no, you guys got it. All right. <laughs> Anything else on the tourney, Kyle? No, no, I think that's it. I, you know, I'm not as worried about Joey Hauser as the rest of you guys. I still think it's early. You know, he he was hurt. You know, didn't practice fully the week before. So, um, um, I have not given up hope on Joey Hauser, even if everyone else has. Well, if Michigan State is going to reach its potential, we can't give up on Joey Hauser, and that's just a fact. And Tom knows that too. So he's going to be out there because he does help in rebounding. Uh, quite a bit actually. So uh, let's look ahead briefly here where we got a little bit of a long show, but like I said, it was jam packed. Another marquee game on Wednesday, the ACC big 10 challenge, Michigan state hosting Louisville. Uh, This is, you know, they've played, I believe, uh, let's see, 11 times in their history. Louisville leads it six to five. Last time they played was also in the big 10 ACC challenge 2018, 19 season. They played in Kentucky. Louisville wins 82, 78. Uh, as far as if you look at Louisville this year, um, I mean, they've they've done well so far, five and one, uh, just picked up a couple wins over Mississippi State and Maryland uh, in their little four way holiday tournament. They lost to Furman um, in the second game of the year. Uh, they've Chris Mack, their coach, has, has kind of rebuilt the roster. I watched them a little bit in those two games I just mentioned, but um, they've kind of rebuilt the roster, especially in the backcourt. They have a Marshall transfer playing a lot of point guard and then Noah Locke who played at Florida, um, I believe is their leading scorer right now, 13 points per game. Um, so, and then they've got some other holdovers with uh, Malik Williams as a forward, Samuel Williamson, five-star forward or two guys that do a lot for him. So, I mean, it's Louisville. They're a good program. I don't know if this is peak vintage Louisville coming to the Breslin center, but then again, it's not peak vintage Michigan state really either. So uh, this will be an interesting game to see where these two teams are at because you know, they're obviously two very proud, prestigious programs, but, you know, most people don't think they have like their best teams this year. So I think it's a big chance for one of them to make a statement. Yeah. And, and you know, almost kind of similar in ways. I mean, Louisville went 13 and seven last year and um, barely missed the tournament. Then Michigan State went um, won 15 games and barely made the tournament. So uh, pretty close last year as far as kind of having disappointing years. Um you know, I'm interested in um, in center. You know, Malik Williams is, you know, 6'11", 250. Um, so he's got the height um, and he's got the size. And um, uh, Marcus Bingham has been good overall this year, been much improved, but that's going to be a real load for him. Um, and then on the other end, you know, Marcus Bingham's going to have to score too. So is he going to be able to get his buckets, which Michigan State is needed, especially early in games? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that. And then um, – <laughs> You know, I, I don't know if this will have any effect at all, but Chris Mack was suspended for the first six games of the year, which included like not being able to coach practice at all. Like he wasn't even in the building um, and he came back on Monday and he's going to coach his first game on Wednesday. So I don't know if that helps. I don't know if that they're disjointed and, you know, having, you know, different people, different voices and it hurts them. I don't know. Just not a situation you see a whole lot um, during the season. Wait, so a Louisville yeah. coach is in trouble? <laughs> this was it was actually their second extortion attempt. This is related to and like the last professional 10, extortioners. 10 years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Louisville leads the country in extortion scandals. They that's do. for sure. <laughs> um amazing. I look at this game. I mean, Louisville's tied for 212th in points per game. Michigan State is 196th in points per game. 
Kyle, I'm not sure this is going to be the prettiest basketball game. of all. No, time. it's not. And they're both good defensively. You know, Michigan State's up to number two in Ken Palm and defensive efficiency. And, and that's one thing we haven't talked about. They have been really good defensively. And I think it starts with Marcus Bingham's rim protecting. Um, you know, he is he's he had seven blocks career high against um, against Loyola. But whether or not he's racking up blocks or not, um, he he's given him so much there because, you know, he's affecting shots when people get into the lane. But he's giving a lot of help defense and, and is always was it kind of just explaining how having him there and knowing that he's doing so well, protecting the rim, he's sliding, he's moving better and getting into position to help guys. Basically they can get out on shooters a lot more and get right up on guys on three point shooters. Cause they're not so worried about getting blown by anymore. Cause if they get blown by Marcus Bingham, is going to be there to, to erase it for them basically. Mm-hmm. So if you look at their three point uh, percentage defense, um, bring it up here three point percentage defense uh you know holding teams to 28 percent shooting from three point range you know you think that's the perimeter guys and they're having a, a role in that too but a lot of that's marcus bingham um allowing them to play a specific style so um a little nitty-gritty there but suffice to say michigan State's a good defensive team um louisville's a good defensive team i think they're both ahead of offense there so i haven't seen a line yet and over and under but um i would probably <laughs> take take the under um depending on what it is yeah, I think that most people will be on that, which is exactly what they want you to do, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in Michigan State, like they're big, like they're long overall. I would say. I mean, you watch them out there. I mean, they're they're pretty big team. Like when they're just out there guarding. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's been helpful for them early on, especially as they sort of find their way on offense. You know, who's the alpha rotations, et cetera, stuff like that. So being able to play solid D at least buys you a little bit more time to figure that out. Um, let's see. Anything else, guys, or should we get out of here? We're going pretty long. Uh, how about a quick mention of guys in the portal so far since we mentioned oh, Berger coming out? All right. So Michigan State's up to five. The Gervin, Klein, and Okello were back in September. And um, Sunday, Michael Dowell entered, and Monday, Emmanuel Flowers entered. Both guys are defense backs. Both guys participated in senior day despite having eligibility remaining. So not really a surprise either are looking for a new school. So I'll keep a counter on that, but worth noting that the NCAA created a new waiver just for this year to exceed the 25-man uh, signing limit of initial counters, which initial counters means any new scholarship player, whether it's a recruiter or transfer. So if Michigan State gets up to seven guys leaving for the portal, which I would expect them to do, um, expect them to sign 32 new guys. At least that's what I was told. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would, I would expect to expect to see that. So one guy uh, in the fold already and look for more to come and the the player to be named later in the Gervin trade uh no 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 (laughs) you're you're going with Solari on that completing the trade line he's used that joke like 400 times and I told him yesterday I think he's maxed out on that one so all right no no more of that (laughs) I'm done that was my one time for the part we're done with it all right we got to get out of here uh appreciate everyone for listening again if you could please like rate and review the pod wherever you are listening uh check out our work at mlive.com slash spartans you know where to find us on the internet uh lots to keep an eye on we'll be on the basketball and all the football developments here as we uh it'll be about a week here we'll find out where michigan state is heading for their bowl game but we know it's going to be a good one so uh football season the regular season at least in the rear view uh, we'll have more basketball moving forward, but uh, and we'll be on it. So, Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel, thank you once again for listening to MLive Spartan Cup Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Go Green.